0: Um, My name is Brad. If we haven't met, I hope we get a chance, maybe even at today's Mother's Day reception afterwards. If we haven't met, I'd love to meet you. Actually, if you want to get coffee or something else at you, you know, whatever your favorite drink is, we can uh, just send me an email and we can go out and get something uh, to drink on me. And maybe even a little something to eat too. I'd love to treat you to that and have the chance to get to know you. So uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed. But life can get complicated sometimes. Anyone notice that? Yeah. Yes, oh wow. OK. It's a complicated morning, I guess. Uh, sometimes life can actually get really complicated with our friends. Has anyone experienced that? And when our friends hit a tough spot or a crisis, uh, when they lose a loved one or they're struggling greatly in their lives, it can be really hard to know how to support them. It can be stress-inducing. Am I doing enough? Am I overstepping my bounds? Should I press in or give more space? And we can wonder, am I a good friend? Has anyone ever thought that? A few people? Well, in my quest to find the answer of this question for myself, I went looking for an objective way to tell if I'm a good friend. And fortunately, because of the wonders of the internet, I found a quiz on 17.com that promised to answer this question for me. So I want to share with you just a few of the questions that I had to honestly respond to to determine whether I'm a true good friend, if I'm a bestie or not. Here was one of them. You, I want you to answer these too, so I'm going to ask you what you think. You know that your friend's crush isn't interested in her, but she flirts like a maniac when she's around him. When she says she's planning on asking the guy out, you, one, explain that he isn't interested. Two, tell her not to get her hopes up. Three, decide not to hurt her feelings. Or four, tell her not to be foolish. Okay, who goes with number one? I, I Give some applause so we can tell. Number one. Yeah. All right, That explain that he is an interest. Number two, tell her not to get her hopes up. Anyone? Oh, nobody likes that one. Decide not to hurt her feelings. Who, who likes that one? A couple? A couple, okay. Tell her not to be foolish. All right, one person in the back. Oh, two. Oh. One person in the back, vibrantly supporting that one, and two people in the front like this. Don't let anyone know this is what I would do. It's a secret. okay. At the mall, the girls you're hanging out with start ta- talking trash about your bud. When they turn to you for input, you, A, defend your friend, B, tell them she's really cool, C, change the subject, or D, offer another tidbit about her. All right. Who likes A, defend your friend? Wow. Okay. A lot of support. Who likes B, tell them she's really cool? All right. C, change the subject. All right, one in the back. Here's a good one, another. Uh, D, offer another tidbit about her. Oh, booze, all right. Uh, You call your friend, A, just a gab, B, when you have something to say, C, at least three times a day, or, or D, when you need something. All right, just a gab, let me hear it. All right, B, when you have something to say, Uh, at least three times a day, all right, it's a little codependent, I'm with you, Uh, when you need something, all right, there you go, oh, you again, that's when you pick up that call, yeah, yeah, what do you want, anyway, uh, just a couple more, your friend just called to tell you that her cat is seriously ill and may have to be put to sleep. She wants, yeah, I know, she wants your company, but real, you really hate cats. You A, look at cat photos with her, B, give her a quick hug, then leave, C, tell her to relax, or D, go over for a while to comfort her. All right, who wants to look at cat photos with her? All right. Who, who gives her a quick hug, then gets out of there? Oh, all right. We're, okay. Who tells her to relax? All right, nobody likes that one. Who goes over for a while to comfort her? All right, all right. The last one, your bud confesses that she thinks she's fat. Oh, people are already <laughs> nervous. You, A, rage about your own figure flaws. B, suggest working out together. C, say, I never gain an ounce. Or D, say you don't agree. All right. A, rage about your own figure flaws. I do. All right. All right. One person. We got one person to testify to that. All right. B, suggest working out together. Here's the practical people in the room. C, say, I never gain an ounce. Wow. So someone's clapping and then raising her hands as if in worship <laughs> with that answer in the back of the room. Uh, D, say you don't agree. I think that's a trick question. The right answer is, uh, sorry, uh, just a second. I got a call. <laughs> all right, there's more here, but I'll, I'll let you off the hook here. Um, so I'm sure you're all dying to know how I scored on this exam. So I answered the questions honestly and to the best of my ability, and here is what Seventeen said to me. The title of the page was, You are a fair-weather friend. (laughs) Others are attracted to your strength of character. You tell it like it is. But your searing remarks and catty comments can hurt feelings. If you want to make lasting friendships... Start by giving more and focusing less on what you're getting back. Wow! And I didn't even answer the question. I only call when I need something. With that answer, I said, <laughs> "You know, when I have something to say, I don't just gab you." Know? Anyway, so now my quiz. I think it's pretty fun and lighthearted. I'm I'm not a 17 year old girl, so maybe it's designed for someone besides me. Um, but having 17 tell me if I'm truly besties with my chums, I think is a fun way actually to raise some bigger questions. Namely, what should we expect from our friends and what expectations should we embrace as friends? And this can actually be kind of difficult to navigate. So in the sermon series we're in right now, we've been talking about seeing God at work in the here and now. It's a series on miracles. And sometimes, and I think this has come up a few times, we need help to do that. Sometimes we need our friends to help us into the places we're aware of the miracles that God is working around us. So today we're going to look at miracles and the role they play, that, and the role that community plays in our interactions with Jesus. What can we expect from community that's indispensable to the process and what is too much to hope for? All right, so today we're going to look at one of the most incredible stories about friendship in the entire Bible. And what I think we'll find is that community can practically and spiritually help us encounter God in ways that meet our deepest needs. So let's read the passage. This is Mark chapter 2, the first 12 verses. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come, and they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by the four of them. That this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them. And this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything Like this. Now, pretty amazing story. And I think to set the stage for the rest of today's talk, it can be really helpful to understand uh, some of the background or context about this whole story and this whole episode. So you may have noticed that Jesus has recently started his ministry, but word about him is spreading really, really fast. And this is just the second chapter of Mark's version of the life of Jesus. But already people are flocking to him. And in this story, there are so many people crowding around Jesus that there isn't enough room to fit them all in the house where Jesus is. So people are spilling out into the streets. And into this picture enter five friends, one paralyzed and four carrying him. And they bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus in sort of an unorthodox way. And then Mark makes one comment that I think is the linchpin of this whole passage that changes the direction. It's been a story about how popular Jesus is, but this one phrase turns everything in a new direction. And that one phrase is this, when Jesus saw their faith. And this phrase sends a story hurtling in a completely different direction where some people are offended, others are amazed, but I think everyone who's there would never forget that day. And in this phrase, I think we can learn about three of the needs that friendship tries to adj- address. A practical need, a spiritual need, and the deepest need. And so let's look at the practical one first. And I'm putting it this way, the practical need. We all need a lift. We all need a lift. So Mark writes, when Jesus saw their faith. And I think the word saw is very significant. You know, many times, when, if I were to ask you what is faith, Um, we think about it as something internal, right? Something maybe we believe, something that we have in private, something that's under the surface, something that exists, but in a way that is intangible. You couldn't feel it or touch it or see it, like it can't be grasped. But Mark says that Jesus saw their faith, meaning that their faith was something that could be seen, something that could be identified, something that could be recognized. Now, you might think, well, you know, Jesus could see into people's hearts. We see that in this passage, right? Uh, When he he realizes that people are getting upset after he says he forgives a man's sin. But the action of the story supports the conclusion that Jesus actually literally saw with his eyes their faith because of what physically was happening. So if you can just imagine this scene, from Jesus' point of view, because it says he saw their faith. You're right in the middle of preaching a an amazing, doggone good sermon. I mean, let's be honest. Like, I, I wonder if Jesus ever laid a lemon. I think that he pretty much, like, always delivered on his sermons. That's what I assume anyway. So he's in the middle. Maybe he's at, like, his best illustration. So he's talking about some farm analogy or telling some parable, right? And maybe the lost, you know, that the lost son, the story where uh, this This young guy uh, can't wait for his dad to die. So he says, give me my inheritance now and I'm going to run off. And he spends all his money and then he comes back, right? And they're right at the point where that young man decides to come home and he doesn't know how his father is going to respond to him because he's just wished he's dead. He went and spent all his money. He's coming over the crest of the hill. He sees his dad and his dad right there. (laughs) Jesus is in the zone when all of a sudden he starts to feel like dirt trickle down on his head, right? Then some dirt and thatch from the ceiling just caves in, right? And people, like, like if Jesus was here, like people, no one ever sits in our front rows, but people are crowded in, right? <laughs> and so when the stuff and the glass from our dome here starts to break and stuff like that, they, they start to spread out, right? Because what's going on? The whole thing is going to cave in on me, right? And so that's what's happening right in the middle of his great sermon I think Jesus probably stopped speaking at that point, And instead, he looks up and what does he see? He sees like these hands ripping through the ceiling. And the next thing you know, a giant chunk falls. And you think, wow, well, that was crazy. And just about the time that you're over the fact that the ceiling is caving in, two dudes jump in through the roof right in front of him, right? And that's not it. Then they look up the whole roof put their hands up and someone drops a body in through the ceiling and they catch him. Then two more dudes jump in, right? And then what do they do? They take the person that just got thrown through the roof and they lay him right at Jesus' feet. I think he noticed something he could see. Don't you? I don't think this is some mystical, spiritual moment where he saw into their hearts and the Holy Spirit revealed it, and they had faith. Maybe that happened too, but he definitely saw their faith. It would have been impossible to miss, yes? Yes. If that happened here, you're all on your phone calling 911. (laughs) right? Everybody saw their faith. It wasn't an internal thing that Jesus surmised. These four gentlemen were convinced that jesus could help their friend, so they picked him up a literal action determined to carry him a physical thing that they did to jesus then when they couldn't get through they refused to quit and they climbed on top of a house another physical practical real action and then they started banging a hole in the roof another physical hard to miss action and then they lowered their friend in Faithful friendship is practical. It can be seen. It's active. It's persistent. It doesn't give up on a person even when the way forward seems hopeless. It bangs on real doors. It knocks through real walls. It risks real embarrassment to lift up a friend when he or she is down. And the paralyzed man in this story never makes it into the presence of Jesus without the practical actions that jesus saw with his eyes he couldn't get there alone he needed his friends to practically encourage him let's try this let's go with this let's go see jesus to practically pick him up to practically lower him through the roof that ride that you give that treat that you bake that note that you send that call that you make that time you help someone work through their budget that visit you make that meal you bring over the job reference that you give all of those practical actions lift people up and sometimes they actually lift them into the presence of jesus practical actions that's one aspect of what made these guys really good friends There's also a spiritual need at play here. The spiritual need is this, and that spiritual power is amplified in community. Mark writes this. It says, when Jesus saw their, their, their faith. Notice he doesn't say that he saw the the paralyzed man's faith. He saw their faith, the five of them. And what I think we can learn from this, or one of the things, is that there's sort of this multiplication or a building or a combining effect of faith in community that's unique and powerful. Spiritual power is amplified when it's shared. And this is important because there are times in our lives where let's just be honest, we don't have a lot of faith. There are times when we doubt the the goodness, maybe even the existence of God. And there are times that the last thing we want to do is try and come into the presence of Jesus. Life is hard, we make mistakes, things happen. And this is why being together is so important. There are times when we have just a shred of faith that we can actually own personally, just a thread. But what if we could add that shred, that thread, to someone else's ounce of faith? And what if we could add that to the bucket of faith of someone who's just experienced some kind of miracle? And together, we all have much more faith than when we were all alone, even if our own faith that we feel or that we can hold on to seems to have little to offer. What you have can become so much more in the presence of community. It can be amplified. And this, I think, is one of the reasons that Jesus responds so positively to this group of friends and why, in other places, he seems like he's continually encouraging people to group up, to come together, to share their faith with each other. In another place in Scripture, in Matthew chapter 18... Jesus says this very profound and somewhat famous thing. He says, again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. There's something that happens when you bring whatever you have together with whatever someone else has. There's a special way that people can experience Jesus that's unique to community. In a special way that Jesus responds to those who gather in his name. Your prayers are powerful, but they are more powerful when joined with the prayers of others. This is part of the reason we're going to pray together this morning. It's part of the reason that we sing songs of worship and praise to God. There's a special way that God responds when we pray and worship together. We can experience something here. We can experience something in our small groups that we can't experience anywhere else. I know this can be hard. I personally <laughs> know this can be hard. Life gets busy. Life is full of commitments. Sometimes you have two kids under the age of two. And we need space for individual time. But if we become isolated, if our faith becomes simply our own personal expression, then we lose this dynamic of multiplied or amplified spiritual power. And this is why our church, that's why we're organizing small groups that meet during the week. They're awesome. You know, small group was the first place that I ever really experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit in more of a tangible kind of way. It's where I learned how to pray for people. It's the place I learned probably the most about God, and I was supported in that process. You know, different times in my life, I've stopped going because life gets really full. I remember a few years ago, uh, when I stopped leading a small group, I had, first few years of our church, I always led a small group. This is all. I stopped going once I stopped leading one, And I I realized it kind of left a hole, and I started going to a group after preaching a sermon like this one. Uh, Sometimes I listen to myself, most of the time, I don't know. (laughs) And actually, it was right in the nick of time. So uh, at that time, we had just purchased this building a few months, and then a few months later, I was uh, trying to secure financing to do the remodeling. So there used to be a wall here, Um, there used to be a drop ceiling here, and all kinds of things have changed. (coughs) It cost a lot of money, and although we had done a financial campaign where people pledged to give money over a certain number of years, we needed the money up front, so I had to go to banks and say, hey, the money's coming in, but we need it now. And uh, I went to 18 banks and got 18 no's. I think it was number 19 where someone said yes, and they were kind of shady. <laughs> Finally, we got it worked out, but in the middle of that process, fortunately for a few months earlier, after pre-listening my own sermon, I started going to a small group, and I'd, so I told them about the dreams I was having. The dream where I'm like up on this really high, like suspended road over a giant crevasse or crevice or canyon or something. And it's one of those, there's, there's no guardrails on either side and it's one lane, but cars could come either direction. <laughs> I don't know how that works. And I can't see where I'm going to get over to the other edge and I'm just like trying not to fall off the edge. And then somehow I get down off of that bridge and I drive around uh, to the bottom of the canyon where, lo and behold, there's a bank. <laughs> and I have an appointment with someone. I have to go and ask them for money. But everywhere I go in the bank, I can't find the loan officer. So I'm here. Oh, they're over here. And I'm here. Oh, they're over here. I don't think it's very hard to figure out what that dream was about. <laughs> but I was able to share it with my small group. They were able to listen and pray for me. And it really, at the right time, the right moment, I'm glad I was there. I'm in a season right now where I'm not in a small group again. I've got two, I got like, I got that little toot right over there who's like three and a half months, um, almost four, and we've got a 22-month-old, and it's like very, very busy. Um, But what I am looking forward to is I have time to do this thing called Faith Reimagine. Some of you saw it advertised earlier. It's for people who need a space to be able to ask some really tough questions about their faith, um, either because they're on your front end or you're thinking about getting rid of it. And... I love those groups, but it's going to be a community that I connect with for at least five weeks. And I'm looking forward to it. Kicking off on the 25th, <laughs> uh, it'll be good to get to know a smaller group of people again and meet regularly with them. And Let me encourage you to check out any of the groups in our bulletin. They're all fantastic. Uh, it's almost a summer they'll call first because we do funky schedule things, so make sure Uh, that you call first or email so you know what's going on. My point is that we need practical help that community can provide. We need the spiritual help that community can provide. But friends actually aren't enough. And to be a good friend, to be a part of a healthy community, we actually need to realize this. They're important. They're necessities. But we actually have a deeper need than any of these Our best friends can meet no matter how they answer any questions on a quiz the deepest need is this we need even more than a lift we actually need a savior mark writes this when jesus saw their faith when jesus saw their faith and that word faith is what we're looking at now one of the things that makes these guys such good friends is that they understood what they had to offer as important and as helpful as it was, they understood that it wasn't enough for their friend. If their practical health, their spiritual boost was enough for him, they could have stayed at home. There'd be no need to carry their friend to Jesus. But they were passionately aware that even their very best efforts would not be enough for him. So they actually point their paralyzed friend away from themselves and th- instead point him to jesus they don't expect to be the be all and the end all they don't expect that their community their friendships will be enough as important as they are they're aware of their limits their faith is not in their community instead it's directed at jesus good friends get this we can be a lift but we can't be a savior And we should expect our friends to lift us up, however imperfectly, and even to lift us into the presence of God sometimes. But we see here, we shouldn't expect our friends to be able to save us. We have deeper needs than we can meet for each other. And I think this is illustrated powerfully in this story. In this story, Jesus is most interested, did you notice this, in the deepest needs of the people around him. Again, can you just imagine for a second being in this room? Two men jump through the roof, reach up and catch a third man who's dropped down in front of everyone and placed in front of Jesus because he's paralyzed. What is everyone expecting? What are they wondering if it's going to happen? What do you think they're looking for? Is Jesus going to heal this guy, right? That's what they're thinking. They've heard stories. He's famous for healing people at this point. Everybody's like, OMG, someone just put a paralyzed person in front of this famous healer dude. Is he gonna heal them? Could you imagine them thinking anything else besides the fact look, I'm glad it didn't land on me. There everyone wants to know is he gonna heal him? And what does Jesus do? He doesn't heal him. He says this son, your sins are forgiven. Now, if I was there, I would have probably been thinking, well, thanks, Jesus. That's really great, but can't you see what the real problem is here? This guy can't walk. But Jesus doesn't look at things like that. Jesus isn't looking to meet a real need in our lives. He's looking to meet the deepest need, the need that even community, as great and as important as it can be, cannot meet on its own. You see, this man may even think to himself, if only I could walk. Everything in my life would then come together. All the problems of my life would be solved if I didn't have to suffer through this disability. And you know what? There's some real truth to that. But there's also truth to the fact that after a few months, when the initial euphoria of his physical healing wears off, he's still going to be the same person he was before he could walk. It's like Jesus saying, I know you can't walk, and that's a real problem, but there's a bigger problem here, a deeper need that has to be addressed, or eventually you're going to be just as miserable or more so than you are right now. Many of you have probably heard this before, but apparently lottery winners uh, have a terrible track record of being happy people. And if you want to be depressed i know that's what we all want these days google lottery horror stories it won't make you feel better about yourself it'll make you feel depressed and it, it it's a, a list of people after people who won the lottery and met fantastically terrible ends there's a famous study way back in 1978 in the journal of personality and social psychology where researchers interviewed Illinois state lottery winners and compared them with non-winners and with people who'd suffered terrible accidents that left them uh, in, a, in like a state like the gentleman we see in this story, and each group answered a series of questions aimed at measuring their happiness level. And I think you see where this is going. The study found that the overall happiness levels of lottery winners spiked when they won. Euphoric, of course but returned to pre-winning levels after just a few months. And in terms of overall happiness, the lottery winners were not significantly happier than the non-winners, and the accident victims were slightly less happy, but not by much. The takeaway, sudden wealth is most likely to exaggerate your current situation, but it won't fundamentally change your sense of well-being. If you're unhappy, if you're not good at managing money and you're surrounded by people you don't trust, a big one will probably make your problems worse. If you feel fulfilled, you're a careful financial planner, and you have strong relationships already in your life, a lottery win is likely to build on those strengths. Uh, Cynthia uh, Heimel is a, used to be an author for The Village Voice in New York City. And she said this, and I think it really sums it up. She says, quote, I think when God wants to play a really rotten practical joke on you, He grants your deepest wish. I don't think God operates like that, but the point she makes about our nature, our human nature, what our deepest needs are, I think really hits home. And you can see that in this passage. He won't simply heal this man and let him leave thinking that his deepest wish has been answered. Instead, he pushes him. And all of those listening by saying, your sins have been forgiven. There was a deeper need in this gentleman. And I think there's a deeper need in all of us that in our approach to Jesus, we just can't gloss over. You see, we often we want Jesus to help us with something so that we can get back to the business of taking care of ourselves. Fix this one thing and I'll be okay on my own. But Jesus is trying to get us to understand that what is broken goes much deeper than what we can handle on our own or what we can handle simply with the support of our friends or good community. And this is the work that only Jesus can do. And as a community, we can support each other practically, yes. We can pray, yes. We can help each other have the courage to deal with the real issues in our lives. And these are important, but ultimately... We point each other to Jesus. This is faith. Jesus saw their faith. They brought the man and they placed him at the foot of Jesus. This is believing that our ultimate wish fulfillment is found actually in Jesus. And that he's the one adept enough to deal with our deepest needs, even our sin. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, I pray you'd help us all, particularly myself, to to understand this on a deep, deep, deep level. Father, would you surround us uh, with people who will care for us, will be great friends? Would we actually be intentional about building those types of relationships? We need them. But in the midst of that, we ask for grace that we wouldn't think that if we get that, everything will be okay. But we'll see those relationships as opportunities to help lift our friends into your presence and when we need it, to experience the same thing. Amen. I will say this. If you're relatively new to the church, jumping in a small group seems intimidating